This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's a great pleasure for me to be with you here today on April 2nd, 2022, for what is our 80th consecutive program dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. And there have been several changes, several updates that we want to deal with in today's show, namely that of the BA2 variant of COVID-19. And the question is, is this going to be the next surge? How will it affect us as we try to move towards some sort of normalcy? And the issue of a second booster for most of us, is that going to protect us from BA2? Is it Omicron specific? So we're going to pose those questions to our guest today, Dr. Jessica Abrantes Figueredo. Uh, Dr. Abrantes is from Trinity Health of New England. She has been a guest on our show before, and she's just a great resource of information uh, for not only for me, uh, but also for our listeners. Uh, when they send me emails, uh, I try to get, get to her and really use her as a resource. A couple of things I wanted to touch on, some transitions in the medical world in our community. Um, the first is the passing of Dr. Peter Wade. Dr. Wade was a neurologist at St. Francis Hospital and Trinity Health of New England. He was a guest on our program in the past and just an outstanding person. He suffered from multiple sclerosis himself. He was the founding physician for the Mandel Center for care of multiple sclerosis at Trinity Health of New England. He was a real powerhouse in our region when it came to dealing with multiple sclerosis. The sadder note is that Dr. Wade died of COVID. Dr. Wade was suffered from a condition that he made openly known where he had to be immunosuppressed in order to deal with his disease of multiple sclerosis. Like many people listening, many people who know people listening, they're on immunosuppressant therapy. So despite being vaccinated, as Dr. Wade was, he succumbed to this deadly infection. It reminds us that when we get vaccinated, it's not just for us. And I'm really tired of hearing the excuse well, I'm in good condition. I, I really don't need it. Well, what about the people around you? What about your loved ones? What about physicians like Dr. Wade in our community who spent every day trying to help others? So again, we are sad at his passing and our condolences uh, to his family. <laughs> Interesting note, uh, I worked with his father, Dr. Philip Wade, at Bacchus Hospital. He was a thoracic surgeon for many years at Lawrence and Memorial and Bacchus Hospital. And Peter and I shared uh, some great stories about his dad in the past. On a brighter note, another transition, 
My good friend, Dr. Ralph Prezioso, retired this week. Dr. Prezioso and I went to the same high school, college, and we were roommates in medical school at the University of Rome. He delivered primary care, internal medicine, to the citizens of Southington. He took over that practice some 35 years ago when he partnered with Dr. Eugene D'Angelo that many people in the Southington area know. And it has been great to know of all the good work Ralph has done in that area. And I'm very happy that he's been able to retire. We wish him the best and enjoy his retirement. I know many of his patients came out and gifts and uh, celebrations that he has been able to have such a productive career here in Connecticut helping so many people. So we wish you the best, Ralph, uh, many long years of retirement. The COVID stats are changing. Let's take a look at them. In the United States now, we have over 980,000 deaths. Uh, Of those, 10,776 of those have been in Connecticut. So over 10,000 Connecticut citizens have died from illnesses related to COVID-19. Our positivity rate is 3.68%. And the problem is we're, it's not moved much. And in fact, it may have inched up a little bit on us. So despite this, we are seeing that we are now trying to loosen things up, loosen up the masks, uh, masks are disappearing, but I'm not seeing this surge in in this negative surge in the number of cases and in fact we're also hearing that the wastewater uh, we've talked about this many times and uh, i was very happy to see that in new london the city of new london has voluntarily now uh, they have volunteers going out and collecting wastewater and sending it for tests so we may be getting ready for more covid in connecticut 94 percent of our population has received one dose of the vaccine 78% of the population has gotten two doses. Get this, only 39% of the people in Connecticut who are eligible have received a booster. As a note, I received my second booster last night. I went over to my local Walgreens and was able to get it there. And I'm hoping more and more people get that second booster. And we're going to talk about the effectiveness and the need for it and the timing of it uh, later in the program with Dr. Abrantes. Nationally, hospitalizations are decreasing. This is great. This is important because it gives our frontline workers a chance to catch their breaths, maybe train some more people, get some more backup in there in case this grows even more. But a study that just came out of Hong Kong this week showed that the Omicron variant was actually more severe. It had more severe implications in unvaccinated children. So children who are either ineligible or their parents refused to get them vaccinated were more likely to be hospitalized and more likely to have more severe implications from COVID-19. So it's really a red flag to all of us that we need to focus on this. And as I said, things are loosening up, right? We're seeing 
fewer and fewer masks, people indoors. Even cruise lines now have lightened things up. Again, you're in a very close space with people. And despite the fact, there was a report this week, despite the fact that everybody has to show proof of vaccination and have a negative COVID test, a cruise came back with 15 cases positive. Uh, you know, and what happens is when you test positive on the cruise, you're confined to your quarters. That is not a fun experience by any means. So with that, uh, I think that we need to move forward, but be very wary of how we move forward. I also wanted to mention that something I found to be very helpful is um, the vaccination. The Connecticut Department of Public Health website has a way for you to look up your vaccinations and to download that to your telephone. And it's very interesting because you just put that in to the, if you have an iPhone, you put that into your wallet or into notes. But it's very helpful if you need to go somewhere, they could just scan that QR code. Uh, People don't like the word passport because they think it's a mandate. This is not mandated. No one says you have to do this, but um, I did it uh, because I wanted to do it out of convenience. And in several instances, when I was at spring training, I had to show that I'd been vaccinated. I could quickly email them that sheet and they use the QR code and they could see when I've been vaccinated. So I want to encourage people to use that. This day in medicine, April 2nd, 1922, Dr. Herman Rorschach died. Uh, Dr. Rorschach is a name we all recognize. He was a Swiss psychiatrist, and he invented the inkblot test. And the inkblot test was a way of assessing someone's intelligence and their the emotional elements of their personality. So looking at these abstract inkblots would give a psychiatrist some insight into how someone is thinking and what their personality really is. I know it's been made fun of countless times um, in the movies uh, and otherwise, but um, and that test was very helpful in the field of psychiatry. It continues to be used um, as far as I know. So with that, we're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be back to talk about a couple of interesting topics that I came across, uh, the topic of precision medicine. And we're going to talk about aphasia. Right. This past week, we heard the word aphasia a lot in relation to the sad news of Bruce Willis. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. And a couple of topics I, I wanted to chat a little bit about. And one of them was the field of precision medicine. And it was a relatively new term to me. We talked about personalized medicine before, but um, it's clearly um, different. And in this case, uh, precision medicine is a new concept on an old theme. So basically, when we start talking about precision medicine, we're talking about a medical model where we customize healthcare with respect to medical decisions, treatments, practices, or products versus one treatment fits all. So 
probably a good example of this, and, and that's why I'm saying we're kind of revisiting this, is the old-fashioned house call or home visit. When a physician went to a patient's home, you really got to connect with the entire patient. You get to see what the obstacles to treatment might be. You might get to see what the advantages to certain treatments may be. An example would be someone who needs um, physical therapy or someone who needs to come to the office. If they're dealing with a lot of stairs, it's a problem. Um, you get to kind of experience what's going on. And so it's precision medicine is more connecting with the patient in some way so that you could customize what their needs are. It could be medication. For example, you might prescribe a medication for someone because this is what's always used for this. But for that particular person, maybe because it causes too much fatigue or sleepiness um, and it's somebody who works nights or has to drive a lot as part of their job, you need to alter what you do. It's something we all do to some degree, but it's something that we as providers need to be doing more and more of. The problem with that is it takes time, right? Home visits, you have to drive somewhere see the patient, by the time you get in, you get out. Our whole system is not geared to that anymore. And the sad part of that is, is that the investment you make in a home visit pays off in the long run. Because, again, you might be able to promote someone becoming more functional, getting back to work sooner. Um, having fewer office visits, fewer needs for treatment once you get to do that. So it's an important concept. Now, it's different from personalized medicine, and that's something we've all talked about here before. Personalized medicine is really when you create a drug or a medical device specific for that individual. So... We've talked about this in relation to lung cancer. We've had a guest on talking about melanoma from the standpoint that melanoma, you can take some of the tumor, even with lung tumors, take a piece of the tumor and create a vaccine against that specific tumor. It is specific to the individual themselves. It won't work for someone else's tumor. So that's the idea of personalized medicine. And I know we've also mentioned that a lot of people have, um, you know, worried about messenger RNA, this messenger, this mysterious thing called messenger RNA in building vaccines. But the messenger RNA provides the chassis. It provides the framework for going forward in many cases to produce personalized medicine. So these are the things that are going on in medicine. These are the things we need to get to as we hopefully will be able to rebuild. That's what we're heading for. We need to rebuild the system we now have because everyone on this show agrees the system is broken. 
And I think COVID-19 has really brought that to light in the sense that people are not getting the best care, certainly for the money we spend here in the United States. I also want to talk a little bit about aphasia. And it's a term we deal with in neurology all the time because aphasia is a problem with the brain. This is where it stems from. Aphasia is the inability to comprehend or formulate language. There are two broad categories of aphasia. There's non-fluent aphasia and fluent aphasia. The non-fluent form is the one where a person is unable to generate words. They're unable to articulate a word. And that's due to an injury to a certain particular area of the brain called Broca's area. Some people call it Broca's aphasia. The other type of aphasia is fluent aphasia. Fluent aphasia is where the patient can generate words, but they can't necessarily find the right word to describe something. They can't find the appropriate word to identify an object. So that is a more posterior part of the brain called the Wernicke's area. Things to keep in mind. In right-handed people, the predominant area that controls speech and aphasia is the left side of the brain. In left-handed people, although many still have a left hemisphere dominant, you can see a right hemisphere dominant, the right half of the brain controlling these functions. Now, the cause of aphasia is varied. Right? You could see it from really any injury to the brain. So it could be trauma, it could be a tumor. We see it the most in stroke. So people who have had strokes where they're not able to move the right side of their body will often have some form of aphasia, either not able to generate speech or not able to understand and formulate the appropriate words. You can also injure the connections to these two areas. When you, when you have a massive injury to the brain, it can affect both these areas, and we call it a global aphasia. Now, one of the other causes is, and one of the things that's being described in the case of Bruce Willis, is primary progressive aphasia, PPA. And that's typically seen in a degenerative process. So this is someone whose brain is now deteriorating in general, and it has particularly affected the areas where you generate speech. So again, we think of diminished speech, diminished understanding of speech, diminished word recall or word finding, can't find the right word. We all experience that to some degree, right? Where we have to think about it, especially as we get older. That doesn't mean we have aphasia, but it is a symptom of becoming older and the inability to read or write. So we could understand why Mr. Willis is stepping away from his career, because obviously being an actor and any type of performer such as that really relies on the ability to understand speech and generate speech. So 
it's something that we all need to know something about. I'm sure we know people with this. Uh, we all have experienced some element of it um, in a much more benign fashion uh, when uh, we experience this as we get older. We're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be back with my guest today, Dr. Jessica Abrantes Figueredo. Dr. Abrantes is an infectious disease specialist. She's been a previous guest on our program. I have many questions for her, including several that have been posed by our listeners. As, a, as you all know, if you need to get in touch with me, you have a question in general or about our program, you can reach me at info at alessimd.com. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And it's great to have in this segment my guest, who is Dr. Jessica Abrantes Figueredo. As I've mentioned, Dr. Figueredo has been um, a guest on our program before. She is from Trinity Health. She specializes in infectious diseases, and it's always great to have her on. Jessica, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. All right. Let's start right from the beginning here. What is the BA2 variant of COVID-19? So it's uh, a new subvariant, I'd say. Um, you know, you hear it interchanged a lot with BA1, BA2. So really what we're looking at is, you know, after Delta, we developed Omicron variant, and now we've realized that there's this subvariant, BA2, the original Omicron being BA1, um, that is now obviously kind of sweeping not only the country, but obviously in Connecticut, too, we're having much higher rates of BA2. Um, is this, so they talk about Delta-Cron being a combination of Delta and Omicron. Is that what BA2 is? I guess you can you can think of it that way. So when we went from Delta to Omicron, it, it obviously changed into, you know, had enough change that there were some differences, but still some similarities, and we're kind of seeing somewhat of what's happening now with BA2, where, you know, we had Omicron, BA1. Now it had enough changes to develop this different subvariant where there's still some similarities, but also some differences, you know, one being it's more transmissible. Should we expect a BA3? <laughs> It's a great question. Um, and, you know, one thing that I've definitely learned with regards to the pandemic and COVID, nothing's impossible. You know, uh, as much as ID physicians might be looked at as nervous Nellies, we've seen, you know, things happen time and time again. But hopefully now with obviously all the vaccinations that have been ongoing, we still have people that should get vaccinated, you know, can certainly talk about boosters too. People, obviously, there was a, a huge infection rate with Omicron, so that in part will be helpful too. But again, something that I think only time will tell. Have we seen increased or change in hospitalization rates since the BA2? So is BA2 a kinder, gentler form of COVID-19? So we haven't necessarily seen a difference in you know mortality um, or it being more severe per se. Um, that being said, you know, people are still getting infected. I'd say that the numbers and, you know, we're certainly going to brace for any potential surge or increase in cases. They've been relatively stable. Maybe we're seeing a slight increase, you know, not to the extent where you 
hear on the news about, you know, UK or other parts of, of the world, um, but definitely something that we're watching and monitoring closely. One question that came in from a listener was regarding home testing. Uh, and can the home test pick up BA2? So if you have the BA2 variant of COVID-19 and you do one of the many home tests like Binax or whatever, you swab your nose and do the whole test, will it pick up BA2 or is BA2 not picked up on an antigen test? So it should be picked up. The, and then there's always the difference, though, between antigen and PCR tests, right? Please explain antigen, that again. That, that's sure. always helpful. Yep. Um, so an antigen test, you know, it's, it's likely to be more positive if people are having significant and active symptoms. Um, and so, for example, if uh, high-risk exo- exposure and someone tests on an antigen and could be negative, usually we might then recommend getting a PCR test because that's more sensitive to be able to detect, um, you know, a true negative test. Uh, whereas, obviously, if the antigen test was negative, but still with a high-risk exposure, that PCR might be positive. And again, it's, it's very helpful to know these things so that people can do the right things about, you know, whether they need to isolate or quarantine, um, if positive. So as far as we know, none of these variants have been able to fly under the radar of our testing abilities. Correct. And are we changing our testing? Are the tests changing to some degree as these variants come up, the, the PCR test? Is it changing how it looks for the infecting virus? So the general tests that most hospitals use, for example, aren't necessarily changing. Um, there are some then specialty labs. So, for example, how we know how much BA2 or BA1 is in you know, Connecticut, our Department of Public Health then helps with that, and they have the ability to do some additional testing to look for the specific, what we call dropout genes, so the specific uh, entities that make BA2 special, for example. So one of the things we've talked about on this program a lot has been wastewater testing, in the sense that it seems like wastewater testing is a great way to tell you if more people are infected in a community. Um, at first, the state of Connecticut cut back on wastewater testing. Where are we on wastewater testing here in Connecticut? Because I, I find that to be some, that's got, something that's going to be very helpful. Since if I do a home antigen test, if I'm correct, that's not going into the data of positivity for that day. So uh, where are we at as far as Connecticut goes with wastewater testing? So not my, my, my specialty, and, and so I'll be honest with that with regards to the wastewater, specifically here in Connecticut, although it's, it's definitely something that's been, you know, obviously looked upon. A lot of other states, too, are looking at this to see, and what really what, what is maybe nice about this is that potentially we could catch before we're actually seeing a surge or a wave so that we could, again, brace more for it, I guess you could say. Okay. Uh, let me get back have we lifted the masking restrictions too early in schools and other locations? Or are you in agreement with the way we're proceeding despite these BA2 numbers? Great question. It's, I think it's a, a big answer, too. It's, it's not an easy answer to say as well. I understand that everybody's, you know, tired of the masking maybe or, or obviously this has been a long two years, right, especially for healthcare workers. Sure. Um, I think people just need to be cognizant about masking and when it's appropriate and maybe saying, sure, 
if I'm away from people, it's probably A-OK to not be without a mask or to be without a mask. The same thing with being outside. Schools, you know, are, again, they're enclosed, but they are doing their best if they can get the kids outside to get them outside for recess, especially now with the weather getting better, too. Um, but it is still a risk, right? It's an it's a enclosed space. You know, uh, ventilation has not always been the utmost uh, in, in a lot of places. Um, so I think it's something that we need to be very mindful of. Do I still mask in a lot of places? Absolutely. But have I now even cut back myself to take off my mask if I'm in a well-ventilated area or definitely if we're outside? Yes. So it, it's one of those things where it's it, there's pluses and minuses to it. I know people want to go back to living their lives, um, but we still have a large population, let's not forget, that is not vaccinated and sometimes not by choice, right? Those right. ages four and under aren't vaccinated unless they're in a trial for some for some of the vaccines. And then also our very, very immunocompromised patients, even if they are vaccinated, they are still at risk for getting severe illness. You know, I, I I was at a restaurant last night just picking up takeout food, and I couldn't believe the place was jam-packed and not a mask to be seen. Now, obviously, it's a restaurant, but even in the waiting area, there's no mask. I mean, people are packing into these places. I heard them saying somebody's trying to get a table's 40-minute wait. So mm-hmm. um, I, I'm leery here, Jessica. I don't know. But are we going to end up going back to masks, you think? I mean... You know, I, I, it's, it's always hard to go backwards. I think time will tell with regards to the numbers or if we see significant increases. And again, I think people have, you know, you mentioned you're a little leery. A lot of people are, especially in the infectious disease world, too. Again, call us nervous Nellies, but we've been through this time and time again. And I think a lot of the, the mindset and why people might feel pretty relaxed right now is because with Omicron, there was an enormous number of patients or persons that got infected. And you were probably more likely to know someone or be someone yourself where you had very mild symptoms. But again, that was because we had such a significant number of patients and persons getting infected. So you were more likely to know somebody that had very mild disease and not necessarily the people that did very poorly or had to be hospitalized. But we certainly saw that. We certainly felt that here in the healthcare system too. So, again, something to be very mindful of, and it makes us weary, right, because we also don't necessarily want to go back to being at full capacity with COVID patients and, you know, patient after patient doing, you know, poorly because of COVID, whether they were unvaccinated or severely immunocompromised as well. So here's what I don't get. So I I was at a meeting, and it's funny because the only people wearing masks were healthcare professionals. Everybody else wasn't wearing a mask, okay? And mm-hmm. I'm just scratching my head saying, you know, what's wrong with this picture? What are you people not understanding? Um, you know, especially now that an infectious disease specialist is saying, uh, yeah, I'm a little leery. I'm not, you know, doing these risky things. But And it's like when people come to you and say, what do you think about the vaccine? I, I don't know. I got a, a needle in my arm. I mean, what else can I say other than mm-hmm. that? Is it safe? Well, of course. Um, so it's it's just puzzling to see people's behavior in this situation, especially when all you have to do is look at someone who may know a little bit more about this and see what they're doing. Um, but I, I want to move on to the booster and, sure. and this second booster. Um, we had a question from a listener that I think sums it up. It, it's really related to the timing of the booster. So they're saying now, okay, if you were 
you received your first booster more than four months prior. And I think it gives the illusion, and I think it's an illusion, I'm asking you that, that the booster has lost its effect after four months. And I don't believe it has. I think that's a relative. I think it's a relative number, the four months. So in this case, the listener says, I have to attend a wedding. I think they said in August. Should I wait to get the second booster till May before I have to fly in August? Um, What do you think, Jessica? Yep. So I actually get this question quite a bit. (laughs) Even before, you know, FDA then approved this second booster. A lot of people were asking, especially with regards to going, you know, on travel or because they want to be as protected as possible. Right. So, you know, makes sense. Agree with the, you know, we certainly see after four months, six months, start to see some waning activity or waning immunity. Um, and again, it, it all depends, just like a lot of conditions in, you know, medicine, risks and benefits, right? So if you are a very healthy young patient, you know, have triple vaccinated, it's no, first of all, it's not necessarily recommended just yet, but even if it were, your risk is much lower than someone who is age 60, 65 and above. And I know that they've, you know, recommended it even for 50 and above, you know, you tack on other conditions, heart disease, lung disease, et cetera. Obviously then that makes your risk higher too. So I would say, and I would actually agree with that person and typically what I recommend, whether it's for friends, family, you know, probably closer, um, especially if patients or persons have been recently infected as well, right? There's all this talk about they were triple vaccinated and then they got Omicron. So they might have some good protection in them still to last through hopefully BA2. So in those patients, then I'll say, you know, it probably is okay for you to wait a little bit, you know, about a month or so maybe two months prior to then travel so that you could have as much immunity um, or protection prior to the travel. Okay. Because my thought was that you would, you would hate to wait the month and then get sick within the next month. So my thinking is if, if I should get the thing, get it now. But I could see where the timing of it does make a difference because uh, I, I would expect by the fall we may be looking at another booster. Potentially. Reasonable? And again, right. everything's I mean, that, kind of a, I, there's always a, an unknown with COVID too. And sure. you're right. So some people who even waited for their original booster, right? They kept waiting and then, oop, got infected. Um, so there's always that, those nuances and, and difficult. And each person is a little bit different. Obviously, if you're lower risk, you probably can wait a little bit. If you're higher risk, I'd say go for it. Don't wait. Do you think we're going to need um, a subsequent booster? Uh, after the fourth, I, I think that would be more questionable. You know, we've talked a lot about originally, right, it was just two doses, then all of a sudden we're adding a three dose. There's, there's a lot of vaccines, right, that have three doses, some even that have four doses, even in our immunocompromised population, et cetera. You know, what's happening with COVID and the issue is that it's, you know, we're still running rampant with cases and potential, you know, variants. It's it's not like hepatitis B where you get your three, four shots and you're done, um, we're still trying to fight the pandemic and, and decrease these these variants by, you know, eliminating too many people getting infected to be able to create another variant. Have we, if you combine the people, and talking about Connecticut now, um, I think the number was, you know, 79% of people have gotten two shots of vaccine. If you combine that with the people who have contracted COVID, do you think 
that is what his is it that combination that has got us to a level where the numbers have gone down? I think so. I think it's not only the the double vaccinated, but the folks that have gotten boosters. Although you know many people still qualify for that third dose. Um, along with people who have been infected as well. And our numbers may obviously still be decreased. You said it earlier too, right? A home antigen test, not everyone then follows that up with a PCR test so that it gets, you know, clocked in as well. Um, So, and with Omicron, we saw significant, you know, not just the hospitalizations that went up, but even our healthcare force, you know, lots of healthcare workers or other folks were also infected and had to stay home. So we saw those staffing shortages that were already there, but even made worse. Um, So again, I I think it's, it's different here in Connecticut and in the U.S. compared to other parts of the world because of our vaccine, our infection rate too, that hopefully we won't see. A, a big surge like other places are right now. But again, something to still be mindful that we are closely monitoring. Is this booster more specific to BA2 or Omicron? Uh, so this one specifically, it hasn't changed. So it's still the original. Um, okay. But we've seen that time and time again, you know, with an additional dose, it, it helps with more lasting immunity. Um, some of the places or some of the companies are also looking at specific, you know, whether it's Omicron or BA2 vaccines, uh, and that might be a potential for the future as well. But again, as you've seen, right, we went from alpha to delta to now Omicron, where we don't see any more alpha. It's it's now all BA1, BA2. Okay. Um, here's what I'd like to do with you, something I, something I didn't uh, anticipate. I, I'm going to throw out scenarios, and I want your opinion as to safe, not safe, or how we should proceed, because people are always asking themselves these questions. For example, um, going to church, safe, not safe, what should you do to stay safe? Um, I think it could be potentially both safe and not safe, depending on your community, um, you know, vaccination rates. Most people are pretty honest about being vaccinated or not, even within our own, my own family's church, too. Um, and also the precautions that they're taking. Are they allowing people to be unmasked? Are they still spacing out? And I think if patient or you know persons want to be as safe as possible, uh, especially you know to avoid infection, wearing a mask while in church if you can, you know, staying a little bit further apart from from others as well. Okay, getting on an airplane, um, air travel, safe, not safe. What would you do? Another good, you can make it safe. It could also be unsafe too, right? So it's. I think it's not one way or another. It's not something that I, I say people can't do. I think you have to do it as safe as possible. So if that means wearing, you know, a KN95, it's a little bit more comfortable than an N95. That would offer you the most protection while while flying. You know, hand sanitizer, sure. But obviously, we're still doing the testing before travel and everything. Not traveling while sick. Those will all make it safer. We're only testing before international travel. Is that correct or domestic? Correct at this point. Okay. Although patients or persons can certainly, you know, themselves, right, sure. get tested just to make sure. Oh, yeah. No, believe me. I'm a big home tester here. I- exactly. <laughs> um, restaurants. We talked a little bit about restaurants being crowded. Can't wear a mask, right, if people are eating. Um, right. I've seen restaurants where, you know, they skip every other seat, you know, between group. So in other words, the husband and wife, there isn't somebody right next to them. Yet, I have seen people just jammed into the bar or whatever. Um, right. 
Should they? Should you avoid it? Uh, get takeout. What do you think? So this is again a little bit trickier too, because yes, there are some restaurants that still do the you know every other seat. Um, you know, again, are the windows all closed? The doors are all closed. That's going to make it you know less safe. Obviously, if everybody is vaccinated, we don't always know though that, but. Being vaccinated, um, you know, certainly wearing your mask around other people. But well, what do we do when we sit down? We take the mask off, so it's kind of right a moot point yeah. at that at that time. Um, again, I think it's it's comfort level too. What do you feel safe knowing that you're vaccinated? You know, but you could be around other people that are unvaccinated. Unfortunately, sometimes people still go out and may have the sniffles or a cough and not realize that it wasn't actually allergies; it was COVID. Um, so that's something that we have to be very mindful of. You know, I, if I were to go out and I even if I were to to get COVID, I'll probably do just fine. Right. But I also wouldn't want to be spreading it around. I, we've certainly had severely immunocompromised patients. Again, we can't forget those. We can't forget the little kids that still aren't vaccinated either who could still do poorly. OK, last one. And I think this is a tough one. Cruises. Would you go on a cruise? <laughs> So I do believe cruises are uh, not at full capacity. I think that's one. I think they're still requiring masks, too. Um, You know, that was the big issue early on, right, because it's enclosed spaces. You know, they were at full capacity. And I think they are still doing, you know, a lot to to minimize the risk. And the masking is a big thing. Obviously, a lot of times people can be outside. So is it the safest of activities? No, but neither is probably going on a plane. So you could make it as safe as possible for your family. So would I take, you know, an elderly family member who either isn't vaccinated or can't get vaccinated or immunocompromised? Probably not. That's just placing them at even higher risk. Um, But is it probably safe for a younger family? They're all vaccinated and healthy. Probably. Okay. Jessica, thank you. I guess, uh, uh, you know, we've run out of time. As always, I always have topics for you. Um, and uh, I just want to thank you. Thank you for everything you do on the front line at Trinity Health. Uh, it's, it, I know your time is very precious, and I really want to thank you for spending time with us today um, to really enlighten us, as you always do. Um, and I just want everybody to know if people need to get in touch with uh, Dr. Jessica Brontes Figueredo, the number is 860-714-5895. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back to wrap it up. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Many thanks to my guest today, Dr. Jessica Abrantes Figueredo from Trinity Health of New England. Many thanks to our studio producer, Anthony Dorenzo, has been on the board, and he is training Tom today. Jeff Chandler is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. If you missed any part of today's program, you can get us on the Healthy Rounds podcast, uh, downloaded free on iTunes. If you have questions for me, just send them over to info at alessimd.com. Next on, up on WTIC is Law Talk with attorney John Matulis. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.